The title I put on this message this morning is Encountering God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Encountering God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's different aspects of Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 14 that brings out these three aspects. And this is always an area in your Christian life that we need to be learning. Amen? Who agrees that we need to be learning? We'll see in the passage today that the disciples had some learning to do. And you read in the, in the apostles that, like Paul, like I said earlier on, wanting to know him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, it says in the word, and his righteousness. Seek him. And praise the Lord that we're not seeking a word just that has been written that has no life in it. We're seeking a person. Amen? And God has revealed himself to us. We're going to turn to John 14 and just for the context of the passage in John 14, Jesus has been meeting with his disciples. Jesus had been walking the earth, doing miracles, preaching about the kingdom of God. Teaching his disciples day by day. And in the previous chapter, in chapter 13, Jesus had demonstrated his servanthood in washing the disciples' feet. He then predicts his betrayal, which was to be by Judas. And then he predicts Peter's denial, which Peter just can't handle at all because Peter's perfect, you know. Peter's one of these disciples that never does anything wrong. I'll never fail you, Lord. Who's ever said that to God? Eh? Any of us? But we do fail. And he did, he did fail, but the Lord forgave him. And one important thing that Jesus says uh, to his disciples just towards the end of John chapter 13, verse 33, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter says in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Lord, why can't I follow you there now? I will lay down my life for you. So there's this troubling thing that's happening. You can imagine what it's like for the disciples. What would it have been like to walk with Jesus? To walk with God himself every day? And the blessing that that must have been. And then Jesus is saying, I'm going away. So I think if it was you and me in that situation, we'd be a wee bit troubled about that, wouldn't we? We'd be a little bit, what is happening here? Where is he going? And can I not come with you? Because <laughs> I've been following you up to now. So they didn't understand. So we start in John 14. And really what Jesus is starting by doing is he's bringing words of comfort. And he wants to teach them about the things that's going to happen. It says in John 14 verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so I would have told you. I am going there to prepare, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. So just three things, first of all, that come out from that, those few verses. First of all, Jesus is declaring that his disciples must trust in God. And then he adds, trust also in me. Okay, that's the first point. He's linking God to himself. Then the second point is, he says, God the Father's house has many rooms. And he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You know, we, there's teaching here about encount, what it is to encounter God the Father and what the Father is preparing for us. 
And there's also a message here about Jesus' role in this. That he is going away and there's a place to be prepared. You know, the, I think the King James says mansions, but I don't actually think mansions is really a very accurate term. It's more like preparing a place for us to be with God is what the, what the essence is. So what's the most blessed thing we can ever have in life? What would you say? What's the biggest blessing you can have? I would suggest to you it's being in God's presence. Being in the near presence of God is the greatest blessing in the world. And the only way we can get to the near presence of God is through what Jesus is just about to teach in the next few verses, through him. And we've been separated from God's presence by our sin from the very Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned. And the Bible teaches we've all been born to sin. We've all been born to separation from God's near presence. God is everywhere, but we're not in right relationship with him. When we're born, we're born into sin and we're born into separation. This is taking us to a place where Jesus is saying, do you know what? There's a way, there's a place in my Father's house for you. Forever. 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 That's the teaching about heaven. About being with the Lord for eternity. And he says, I'm going to come back and take take you there to be with me. The disciples didn't understand this even at this point. Um, you can see that as we go through the passage because uh, he makes a statement there in verse 4 you know the way to the place where I am going and Thomas immediately gets confused by this statement and he said said, Lord, verse 5 we don't know where you are going so how can we know the way and Jesus answered I am the way, the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me if you really knew me you would know my Father as well From now on you do know him and have seen him. This is a really critical point. In order to have any relationship with God the Father, we must trust in Jesus. That's the teaching there. Jesus is making this unequivocally clear, isn't he? Amen? There's no two, three ways to God the Father. There's only one way. He says, I am the way. And if we're to become connected with God the Father, we come through Jesus. Another critical point is, if we know Jesus in the sense of knowing him as our saviour, and we know him and understand who he is and what he's done, then we also know the Father as well. That's quite a deep statement. I could probably preach a whole sermon on that, but I'm not going to. If we know Jesus, and we understand him as our saviour, and we get to learn more about him, we also know the Father as well. Verse 7. So Jesus is the way, but also he says, I'm the truth and I'm the life. He's the truth in terms of his character because as we know, Jesus never did anything wrong. He was not like us. He lived a perfect life. Didn't lie. God is truthful in his character. Jesus expresses that character 100%. But also, Jesus is the true word The true word from God, sent from heaven to reveal God's truth to us. Does that make sense? So not only in his character is he truthful, but actually even more than that, he is the true word. Jesus is the word sent from heaven to reveal God's truth, God's message, really to reveal God to us in in all truth. And Jesus also come to bring us life. We've talked about that separation that we have and that, that is death, you know. That d- separation from God is spiritual death. 
The wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but eternal death and hell. Separation from God. But Jesus came to bring us life. Hallelujah, we should be really praising God this morning. Jesus came to bring us eternal life through faith in him. To save us from destruction in our sins and eternal separation from God. But we still have questions coming. I find it very heartening in the, how down to earth the Bible is, isn't it? You know, Jesus didn't come to those who were academically wonderful. Some of them were. But a lot of these people were very ordinary folks like you and I. Fishermen and people like that who weren't well educated. And they had questions just like we do. And you see them popping up. Because they're not understanding the truth. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Verse 8. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even I, after I have been among you such a long time. You know, the Lord, you can sense a bit of frustration in there, but the Lord is so compassionate, isn't he? There's a character of God you see in Jesus. It's how patient he is with us. I'm so glad God is patient with my failings, with my lack of understanding, with my lack of faith in what he said. How many times do you see that in Jesus? And there is that sense of frustration, but he doesn't give up on us. <laughs> he continues, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. So Jesus is making a really important theological point that if people have seen him and know him in a true sense of that, then they have seen the Father as well. That they have seen the expression of the very Father God. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God revealed to us in flesh. God the Son revealed to, revealed as God's image to us. You know, we people say to you, how can you, you believe in God? We can't see him. You know, there, there's invisible qualities about God. Amen? He speaks in Genesis and things come to being, but he's not seen. And then, praise God, you know, in, in John uh, 1, I'll just go back and read it, I wasn't going to, but I'm going to. Uh, John 1, 1, the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Uh, the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness will not overcome it. In verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. The revelation of God's glory revealed in the face of Christ when he stepped down and the word became flesh. To bring us the message of truth and salvation... To be the message of truth and salvation when he died and rose again, paid the price for our sins. But to reveal God in a way in which we can understand. Isn't it lovely the way children can understand? And we've seen children just recently in our church and we should praise God about this. There's been young kids who have given their lives to Jesus. Because they can understand who he is. 
concept of understanding Jesus is a blessing, isn't it? Because it's something that we can look at a person, we can look at characteristics that children can understand, that anybody can understand, in a way that's not too high and lofty for us. Yeah? We can see the compassion of God in Jesus. We can see the love of God in Jesus. We can see through the demonstration of his death and resurrection a really simple message about salvation, but a very deep message, but one in which we can all understand. Amen? And there are children in our church who are being ministered to here and who are saying, do you know what? I love Jesus. (laughs) And that's the way God is wanting it to be. He wants us to put everything into Jesus. Jesus is his revelation. It's what it's all about. It's his way of speaking to us. Revealing himself to us. And saving us. Hallelujah. Colossians 1.15 You don't need to turn to it. It just talks about some of the things I'm speaking about there. It says in verse 15 The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And that's speaking about Christ. All of us are speaking about Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. You see how Jesus has been elevated here? Head of the church. There at the beginning... In him and through him all things were created. He is before things and all things hold together in him. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. That's speaking about the salvation, about the fact that God's making a way to bring us back to himself through him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, by Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Because the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And there was a sacrificial model in the Old Testament where they sacrificed animals. And it was a one-off. It was a, it was a repeated thing that they had to keep doing. It was never a full sacrifice. Jesus comes as the revelation of the invisible God. He's there. Through him all things were created on earth. Amen. It's powerful stuff. He's the head of the church. Everyone that believes in him. He has all the supremacy. He has all the fullness of God dwelling in him. He rec- he's able to reconcile us back to God. Making peace through his blood shed for us on the cross. Hallelujah. Now that's a message that is really deep and profound. But a five year old child can understand it. And praise the Lord for that. I really, really love God. And I love the way he makes a me- He stoops down from his loftiness. And he makes things understandable. Amen. He's an incomprehensible God who makes himself understandable to us. Because he loves us. And he made us and he wants us to have a relationship. So speaks to us in a way that we can understand. Expresses himself ultimately in his son Jesus. So back to the passage in John 14. Jesus is really trying to, not trying, he is settling this questioning from the disciples. I've no doubt that the disciple continued to doubt after this and they still didn't understand. It probably wasn't until Jesus was resurrected again and it appeared to them 40 odd times that they actually eventually uh, realised some of this stuff. And again, I'm just very happy and, and glad that God is patient and God just meets us where we're at and teaches us where we're at and moves us along the way. Isn't that great? We don't understand everything, but God meets us where we're at 
He helps us to know more. And the more we read his words, and the more we pray, we walk along the journey and we understand them more and more. And he reveals more to us. So Jesus is settling these questioning and doubts. First of all, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's verse 9. Secondly, he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus is speaking about the fact that God is one God, but there are three persons within the Godhead. Three expressions of God. God the Father, God the Son, and we're going to move on to God the Holy Spirit later on in this uh, passage. One God. But these three persons within the Godhead. Do you know, just before I move on from that, it's not too difficult to think of a God that's able to be that. Three in one. Is it? Really? God isn't like us. Although we're made in his image, he's beyond our understanding and comprehensibility. There's one God. There are three persons within that Godhead who work simultaneously and intertwined. I remember Alec Russell speaking one time and showing a demonstration of the Trinity. I think it was one of the best ones I've said and I'm not going to say it as good as he did because he was... He was brilliant, can I just say that? Ali Russell was amazing <laughs> and talented. And one of the things he did was he had Rachel come up to the front of the church and she had long hair and he braided her hair into three different strands and he, 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 he wound the hair together in a beautiful braid with three different strands on it. And I can't remember fully what he said, but in essence he was saying there is one structure, there's one essence to this, it's one thing, you know, the hair. But what I'm doing is I'm taking different strands of it, three separate different strands of the same here, and I'm binding it together and I'm intertwining it to show you that God expresses himself in three parts. And those three parts are fully intertwined and working together to make this beautiful thing that you see here. Yeah? It's a beautiful expression. Sometimes people have struggled to understand the Trinity, but I don't think it's hard to understand. God's greater than us. He's more marvellous than us. And he has three persons that work in perfect unity. One God, the Lord is one. This is really important in this particular passage. You'll see this coming out now. Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples, don't think of me as separated from the Father. I'm actually one with him. I am God. There is only one God. That's what he's trying to say. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. They're one. The words I am saying, the next point he makes is, the words I am saying are not just my own words, but it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. He says in an earlier part of the passage that, um, in fact, maybe not read it. Yeah, John twelve forty nine. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. That's a deep statement as well, isn't it? That's a deep statement Jesus is making. For I didn't speak of my own accord, not his own words, but the Father who sent him commanded the words what, what to say and how to say it. So everything that Jesus spoke, he's saying, is coming in exact unity with God the Father. It is actually God the Father speaking through him. 100%. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me, it says there in verse 50. And lastly, he repeats the second point again. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. So Jesus understands the frailty of our understanding. And again, praise the Lord for this because he always meets, meets us where we're at in our understanding and where we're at. You know, sometimes our faith levels are way down here, isn't it? We just, this is too difficult for me to understand this thing about the Trinity. and I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. 
So what does Jesus say? Well, if you can't quite get there right now, if your faith and your understanding is not quite there, at least believe in the miracles that you've seen. (laughs) At least believe in those. And you know, those miracles and signs and wonders were one of the ways in which God was showing the world he was working in Jesus. That was the demonstration of God's power. To make it obvious, to make it clear that this man is no man on his own. That this man is God in action. Amen? And the miracles, sometimes those signs and wonders and those things in your life God will speak to you about. And he will lift your faith level. Amen? You had that experience? You prayed about something? God does something impossible? Remember those things. Don't forget those things. And read the word. And read about God's miraculous power. Build up your own faith and believe that these things are possible. A key point is the Father and the Son are one. One God. Working in perfect harmony between them. Now moving on to verse 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do whatever I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I find these verses, and I don't claim to have all of the depths of them in my understanding, uh, they're challenging, they're exciting and they make you think about things. Because sometimes we don't seem to be experiencing the level that Jesus appears to be saying here. First of all he says in verse 12. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing and even greater. I've read some commentaries on this and I'm not sure what to make of it sometimes. Because I think sometimes we just try and explain our experience. We explain things by our experience rather than by the word of God and what it's actually saying. So some of the theologians are saying, well, by greater, what he really meant was that because there are more disciples in terms of number and in terms of through the generations, then the works are greater than Jesus. But if you look at actually what it's saying in the text, he is actually saying in terms of, so the word means in terms of magnitude, in terms of quality, there'll be greater things happening. Now, that seems maybe a wee bit blasphemous to us when we think, well, how can that happen? But Jesus is saying there's going to be a power coming upon you, and he's about to explain this, and that there's a way for signs and wonders to be done. And you know, one theologian I read there said, and in our experience, as far as we know in history, these things have not happened, therefore we don't think there are greater works. (laughs) I'm going to take you to some scriptures in the New Testament in a minute, to the early church, where there's signs and wonders happening, and where they're praying for that. But don't rely on your own experience for your faith, okay? Experience doesn't mean anything. The word of God is what means everything. That's the truth from God. And there's something he's saying here. There'll be things that will happen that will be even greater. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And then he says, you must ask... You may ask me for anything in my name. Now these statements from Jesus may seem totally open and without any limits to our requests, but they are not. Because you see, if we are praying truly for Jesus' name, and what that really means is, if we are praying for the sake of Jesus, we're praying this prayer that we're going to bring. 
And if we're really praying, as he says there, so that the Son, him, may bring glory to the Father, that's why we're supposed to be praying. That's the context of the prayers that we're supposed to be asking for. Then our prayers must be for things that would align to God's character and not against it. So we should not be praying for anything that is not written in God's word as being true and right and righteous. If we pray sinful prayers and selfish prayers, don't expect God to answer. You know, sometimes we think, I'm not doing that, but we are doing it. (laughs) Often we are. We don't put God first if we're honest in our prayers. Often we bring all of our own problems to God. And there's nothing wrong, it tells us in Philippians 4, that we should bring our prayers and petitions to God. But isn't, aren't our prayers sometimes very lopsided towards our circumstances, our problem? And not really focused on what would bring glory to God, what God's mission and purpose is. Jesus said, the words I've said to you, I've, I've only said what the Father wants me to say. Jesus targeted the gospel message, targeted preaching about the kingdom. And when he told his disciples to go later than this, he says, go and what? Go and do what? Preach the good news. That's your mission. Yes, you've got problems. Yes, you've got difficulties. But your focus as believers, your number one focus, worshipping me and preaching the gospel. That's your mission. Therefore, that's what you should be praying into. But I also find it very encouraging, though, because we know that if we do pray with our right heart, Humbling ourselves before God and praying for things that we know are according to his character and are according to his will, then we can be confident. How about that? Because sometimes we pray and we think nothing's happening. People aren't being saved. But how about claiming the promise in Timothy that says that God doesn't desire for people to be lost, but he wants them to be saved? We can claim the very word of God and we can say, God, I know that you don't want people to be lost. And I know that it's your will that they're saved. So therefore I can pray confidently without doubt. And without doubt that my prayer is going to hit the ceiling. That this is something that God desires. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. This is a prayer that's coming more deeply to me in recent times. There's a whole prayer movement started by Justin Welby. That's going to be happening in May. Where he's asking the church to pray. It's called Thy Kingdom Come. And you know there is a bit of a, there is a revival going on just now in the UK. And hallelujah for that. A revival of prayer. A revival in the prayer room. And you might not know about these things, but there there are places being filled, cathedrals being filled over these last few years with people coming to pray. What did Jesus say? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And how the church has neglected prayer. And not focused on it. And not prayed the right prayers. In Matthew 6, 9-15... Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men what they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. But that's a prayer I would just suggest you take away and you think about again. And just ask the Lord to help you in prayer like that. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. Well, there's a model. There's a model to start a prayer with if you're not sure what to pray. Praying that God's name may be honoured. Amen.
what a prayer that is for the United Kingdom. Who's honouring the name of our God in Parliament? Very few. Who's honouring the name of God in the workplace? In our society, on the television screens? A minority. We're praying that God, hallowed be your name. Honour be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come here. What a powerful prayer. And it would suggest to us that God's kingdom is asking for us to pray pray into it. Jesus went away to the place of prayer, didn't he? Jesus went into the place of prayer before God the Father to ask for his kingdom to come through him. And if Jesus had to do it, how much more do we have to do it? Jesus relied fully on the power of the Holy Spirit and fully on the words from God the Father. How much more do we? I get really excited about that prayer. In our prayer meetings, in our personal times in church, we are praying God's kingdom be established here in Moody'sburn. Amen? And it is what God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray for transformation in our area. Do we believe that? That's what we're praying for. The early church planted churches not to create a holy social club. They went into towns and villages and they planted churches to preach the gospel. And they planted them to transform the towns and the cities that they were in. That was the commission they were on. To see massive transformation. And you know, we don't often see these things in our day, but it is happening elsewhere. You know, it's happening somewhere in the UK. But we don't hear many stories of revival where entire communities are change but it has happened in our history in Scotland not too long ago less than a generation ago it's happened in Wales, it's happened in America it's happening right now in all over the world how about Moody'sburg? how about the United Kingdom just challenge us in our prayer life are we praying this prayer are we praying this in our area, our workplace our community, our church, our fellowships your kingdom come, your will be done. And you know that straightens out a lot of problems that we sometimes have in prayer where we get kind of selfish about things and we get a wee bit warped. I find it a lot easier in my own life and I make mistakes all the time in this. But when you say things like a job, I'll give you a practical situation. So I'm unemployed and I'm looking for a job. Your will be done, Lord. Not mine. You know, yes, I'm going to apply. Yes, I'm going to use my brains and I'm going to do everything. But I'm asking for your will to be done in my work situation. I'm going to trust in you and I want you to lead me. You know, sometimes we leave God's will out of it, don't we? I'm just going to go for the the biggest salary I can get to the fanciest job I can get and I quite fancy this thing, you know? Maybe God doesn't want you to do it. (laughs) Maybe it's bad for you. It's It's a much more accurate prayer to continue to seek work and seek a job or whatever you're seeking the Lord for but ask for his will to be done and seek his kingdom first. And then the answer will be better for you. It might not put a Ferrari in the garage, but it might just well be a place that you can serve God better. I do believe God has a specific plan for us, you know. Specific place, purpose, things for you to do. And you seek these things in prayer by asking for his will to be done. And God will reveal to you what he wants you to do. And he will respond to that prayer for his glory. And I'm looking forward to the day when we're going to turn around and we're going to say, not only are these seats filled in, Moody's, in this church, that's not the important thing, that Moody'sburn's changed. That everyone's talking about Moody'sburn as the place where Jesus is. That's transformation. As if Moody'sburn is known by a name, Jesus. And people round about who don't know him are actually talking about, what is it that's going on in Moody'sburn? 
Now that is what the Lord, I believe, wants to do. Make his name great. But please pray into that and also pray for our brothers and sisters in other churches. We need to be united in prayer. We're one church and sometimes we don't act like it. But there are good things happening in our community and I encourage you to pray into that. That we may have a united fellowship of believers. Amen? There's a lot of things already happening. There's more. But it starts with you individually also. Also it talks a wee bit, I wasn't planning to say about this, but it talks about our own forgiveness and also extending forgiveness to another. I do think it's important to release people uh, from things. You know, one of the things the enemy uses against us is uh, bitterness and hurt. And while these things are real and there are consequences for sin, yeah, and sometimes maybe even the other person never apologises <laughs> or the situation can never actually be resolved but I've experienced and I believe it's from the Lord and I believe it's from these scriptures that there is a place not necessarily for, always for relationships to be fixed not necessarily for everything always to be made right in the natural but in the spiritual sense we can release people forgiveness Amen? There are Christians who have released forgiveness towards terrorists who have not repented which can only be a work of God, can't it? But it's been a testimony to other people and it's saved them from having a burden on them that they didn't need to bear. It doesn't mean the thing's right. It doesn't mean it excuses what's been done. But there's a way to be released from that. Does that make sense? And I've seen people go right the way off the Christian faith and right the way out of church just because they've been bitter about things and because things have hurt them and because they've not been able to let go of it. The way I look at it is, well, the Lord has forgiven me so much beyond what I could ever ask that the least I can do is not excuse what things have happened, but release them to him in an act of forgiveness. Just let it go. Let it go and let God act in it. God's sovereign. God's in control. He repays people for the things they do, good and bad. Give it to him. So how should we pray then? So a good example of the early church praying is in Acts 4. You can turn to it if you want. Acts 4, verse 18. Peter and John had been brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin. They'd been threatened, and it's worth really noting here that the early church were in serious trouble, you know, in terms of risk of their life. Jesus had just been crucified, and their lives were in danger of being flogged, stoned, and killed. This is the situation they were in. They were brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin, threatened and warned by them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. It says in... uh, Chapter 4, verse 18. Then they called them again, them in again, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the, mara- for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And that was the the healing of the the cripple beggar that had happened just before that. So this is dangerous for Peter and John. They were being told, do not speak again or say it or teach in the name of this Jesus. So what did they do? First of all, they said, well, judge for yourselves what is right, to obey you or to obey God. Obedience is really critical in our prayers as well. We talked about the fact that we need to be praying things that are in accordance with his will and his glory. But we need to be living in obedience as much as it is possible for us and doing things that are in obedience to him. 
So it would have been wrong for Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus because Jesus had said, go and tell the world about it. So they weren't going to disobey him, even if it meant losing their lives, potentially. So what did they do? Action plan. Let's get together and pray. 23, verse 23, Acts 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against this Holy One. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. (laughs) Amen? So we know in our day that we hear stories of persecuted Christians where miracles happen. That's happening today, you know. You don't hear it on the BBC News, because nobody's interested on the BBC News. But these things are happening, and you hear them through missionaries and agencies of the wonders God is doing today. And in their day, they were not going to disobey God. They were going to obey the mission of God and obey the preaching of the gospel. So they had to pray for favour, for God to deal God to deal with the people that were coming against them. We're in a society where so many things are coming against Christians. So many things are coming against those who follow Jesus. It's no different to those days. You could argue we're in a better position in Scotland because we're not in threat at the moment of going to prison for our faith. Whereas other people in the world are. And they were in this stage. It's a serious matter. And we should be praying this same prayer. In our land that is anti-Christian. Consider their threats. And remember who God is. The sovereign Lord made the heaven and the earth. Who are leaders to God? They're nothing to him. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's one prayer we really need for all of us today. You say, well, I'm not really an evangelist, I'm not a speaker. It doesn't matter. Neither were these people. These people all went out, all of them went out and spoke about the Lord Jesus. And we can all do that. And God will give us the power when our hearts towards Him when we're praying. And it mentions there, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God boldly, and the place they were meeting was shaken. So we're to pray as Christians, we're to pray in obedience to God's word. So we must know what his word is, we must know what his mission is, and we must pray in accordance with that. And we're not to pray using our own strength and wisdom, but we're to rely on God, the Holy Spirit, as we see demonstrated in that last prayer in Acts 4. I'm just going to finish quickly after this. I'm not going to have the time I thought I had, but uh, God the Holy Spirit is the next part. Uh, John 14, 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, that he's saying that again, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father. So just very quickly, a couple of points from there. Jesus says he was going to ask the Father, and the the Father will give us another counsellor. And this counsellor is God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Vic was talking about the Holy Spirit in more depth last week. He says he, he lives with you just now, but he will be in you. So he's talking about a new experience, which the believers experienced in Pentecost. We're coming up to Pentecost. By the way, Sunday, McKee's coming soon. <laughs> he said to me, Graham, can I preach on Pentecost Sunday? I said, sorry, somebody else is coming that day. So he's coming the week before. He says, I'll still speak about Pentecost. Love Sandy McKeith. <laughs> and you know, there's a man who understands the Holy Spirit. And who says, I didn't used to understand the Holy Spirit the way I do now. I didn't used to preach the way I do now. But when he was like 60 odd or 70, as a believer, as a man of God and a minister, he had an experience of God the Holy Spirit, where he understood more of the power of God and understood more of him. He says, Graham, I've never preached the same since. There is a difference in the believer's life. You know, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit for believers, what Jesus is talking about is that every believer in him will receive the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. It says that in Ephesians, if you read through Ephesians 2, 3, and Romans 8. If we're not of the Spirit of God, we're not saved at all. So, the Holy Spirit comes to you when you receive Jesus as Saviour. Okay, step one. But the Bible also talks about a filling of the Holy Spirit. Which is something that we've to have we've to have a focus on in Romans eight it says we've not to be the sinful nature but we've to be filled. So there is a way in which we can live our life that is grieving the Holy Spirit and not doing God's will and plan, and there's a way that we can be living that is pleasing to God's Spirit that we're living in the fullness. And I would suggest to you, Sandy McKeith, though not a perfect man, is an example of an instrument that is filled with the Holy Spirit often. It's affected his preaching. It's affected his life. It's affected everything. His prayer. It should be affecting us. We are not being left alone. We've been giving God the Holy Spirit. He lives, will be in you. And that's true for us today if you've received Christ. God the Holy Spirit is in your life. And you are in him. Because he says that on that day you'll realise that I am in the Father. And you are in me. Jesus said. And I am in you. So Jesus extends the statement I am one with the Father (coughs) to then say that through faith in me you become in me you become into me and then by the Holy Spirit I am in you (laughs) lovely isn't it? and if you think back to Alec Russell's three strains of here wow (laughs) Jesus is actually saying you are connected into the Godhead now as a believer in me, isn't that incredible? You're in me, therefore you're in that Trinity experience. This is all a picture of the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives through faith in Jesus. But he is emphasising there, and I'm not going to get any longer here, but he's emphasising the need for submission to his will, but also obedience to his commands. And there's a challenge for us all to take away. The things in our lives that we know to be wrong. The things in our lives that we know is against his will. We need to put those things away. Amen.
said in Joshua, consecrate yourself now before the Lord because I'm about to do great things amongst you. I do believe God's going to do great things here, but he's going to deal with us first. He deals with the church first. The church needs to be repentant. We need to be sorry for the things we've done. We need to be putting those things away and asking God to move in the full. That's that's the only time God's going to move in the fullness of his power. It's when we're walking in that way. But he can and he will do it. A couple of closing points. First, do you know Jesus as your personal saviour? This is the most important thing if you can't remember anything else and you don't know Jesus. This is it. Do you know him? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, is connected with the Father, is saved unless you come through me. It's only through believing that Jesus is God, Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus went to the cross to pay for the price that we couldn't pay for our own sins. He paid the price perfectly. He rose from the dead three days later. He defeated sin, death, having paid for the price. Yeah? The price we can't pay. And he says, if you come and you believe in me, you'll be saved. Whoever believes in me shall be saved and not perish. If you've never taken that step, please consider that step. Talk to someone, pray about that. You can do that today. And have the assurance of sins forgiven and right relationship with God forever. Secondly, if we've already received Jesus as our personal saviour, how is our relationship going with him in relation to what we've been talking about today? Are we living attentive to his will and purposes and for his glory? Are we praying like that? And connected to that, how is our prayer life? Personally and in the church, are we focused on praying to God? Are we asking God? Are we even that? Coming to things like prayer meetings. It's not about attending meetings, by the way. And sometimes people have reasons why they can't be there. But it is important to be in a place of prayer. And prayer is not a one-off thing. It's it's something we're asked to do a lot. And are we acting in faith to witness to the world around us? The church was clear on its mission amidst adversity and was praying and going for it, even though their lives were at risk. Is that not challenging to us to say, what are we doing in relation to preaching and evangelising our area? And there's lots of good things happening here, but it's a challenge to us individually. What priority are we all placing on sharing the truth about Jesus? And we all should be able to do that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word to us today. We do trust that this is a word for this fellowship at this time. We just pray that your words will remain and nothing else, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be instruments that you can use. We thank you for this glorious gospel and this glorious forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. We pray that everyone here might understand that and receive Jesus as Saviour. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to know how to pray, to be obedient, to pray things that are in accordance with your plan. And we do pray, Lord, that you'll transform our society around us for Jesus' sake. We do pray that your kingdom will come here in Moody'sburn and the surrounding areas and across the UK and indeed across the world. We pray for you to continue to build your church and help us to be obedient to what your spirit is saying to us, what your word is saying to us. And Lord, I pray for protection over hearts and minds here. The devil is always looking for a foothold. And we just pray, Lord, for protection in Jesus' name over your words to us and your voice speaking to us. And that we would be able to understand what you're saying. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.